Radio. This is Catholics Read on cradio.org.au. Hello and welcome to this episode of Catholics Read. I'm Luke. And I'm Victoria. And Kiara's not here um, because she's on a bit of a, a hiatus mm-hmm. um, at the moment. It might only be one episode. I don't know. It could be. We were talking about hiatus in the last episode, and Victoria and I decided not to do the hiatus. Mm-hmm. Although I kind of now we now we feel like we probably should have done the hiatus because we're here. You'll find at a out very early the... hour in the morning using coffee as a bit of a lifeline. You'll find out over the next uh, twenty minutes or so why we should have done a hiatus. Well, <laughs> I mean, me, I can't really speak for Victoria, but uh, okay. So we are reading. Um, uh, Eugene Onyegin mm-hmm. uh, by Alexander Pushkin. Pushkin, thank you. Um, <laughs> Alexander Pushkin. Uh, it's a. Um, <sighs> okay, so the way this happened was <laughs> we were we were set to read either um, either what was it? Okay, so so what happened was Victoria and I were going to be we, we drove down to Albury last week. Like sweet, perfect time to That's listen a good to an six audiobook. or seven hours. Yeah, it was a good drive. Um, and we were going to be like, all right, we'll listen to a, uh, we'll listen to an audiobook. Uh, so we, we sort of had two on our short list, which were either, um, <laughs> Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde or what was the other one? Um, I can't even remember. Not, I can't remember. Something else. Whatever Something it was. else. <laughs> it mustn't have been too fantastic. I can't even Beowulf. Remember. It was Beowulf. Oh, Beowulf. All right. Which is fantastic. Which is. Okay. Or Beowulf. Um, all of which um, the decision was made that um, that the audiobook versions that we could get weren't to our, to our liking um, or to Vic- yeah, I don't I don't want to they weren't around. to my liking. they weren't to Victoria's liking that. I didn't really care all that much <laughs> I mean were, I'm glad because were... if they were really if they were quite like if they weren't able to keep your attention well that's not a good thing when you're driving no they were on the road. they were monotonous and didn't understand even the the slightest need for expression or tonal shift or anything i was i was quite surprised that someone could sustain that level of mediocrity for so many hours and not fall asleep themselves yeah, i was i i don't know i guess i wasn't really listening that intently <laughs> there was something else oh, so i'm eating breakfast and victoria's drinking coffee so um, it's very this is a really like this is a- whatever like, <laughs> we're just like uh Got to get this done. Got to get this episode out. The, the point of talking about the terrible audiobooks was the fact that in in a, the midst of this realization, I remembered. I didn't this, think they were that bad. Just put they, it. They were bad. They were objectively bad. Um, I <laughs> remember. Given that I disagree, I think they're subjectively bad. No, they're objectively bad. But this is this is the when you're thinking about something that's bad, it's usually because there's a lack of something in con. So you okay. think you think of contrast. So in this on this train of thought, I thought I was trying to think of an audiobook that was good, so that I could. That's how my brain knows that something is is lacking and that something is bad. And um, I I thought of Stephen Fry's recording of um, Onegin um, or Eugene Onegin, and um, I suggested that we listen to that instead. And it was very very good, uh, very ex- it was expressive and well, it was funny I mean, and it was witty Stephen and it kept Fry. you kept He's you entertained. Like... And I laughed on the, on the trip. Um, Luke chuckled sometimes when he was paying attention because um, he would drift in and out. I was, yeah. We had this, um, so there's this thing where, um, 
Uh, this is this, this episode is just gonna be random stuff because and and things about the because the I, novel itself. I listened to we we ended up listening to about a, it's five chapters. We ended up listening to about a chapter and most. It seemed like the second it was chapter about was coming two. to a close. Yeah, yeah. So so the second and most of the second chapter. Um, so I really don't have a lot to say. So I'm just gonna <laughs> you didn't finish out. it. Oh no. No, of okay. course I didn't. Oh, you know, wow. on reflection, I probably, uh, I don't know, maybe maybe I should have listened to it. I, I drove, like, okay. nearly four hours yesterday. I probably should have listened, but I just didn't. That's and... okay. This is an excellent opportunity to give a summary then. That's great, Victoria. And then you can, then you can say more. I didn't even look it up on Wikipedia. Oh, I've done nothing. wow. Okay. It's been disastrous. On behalf of the team listeners, I think we've really let you down here, so we apologise. And we'll do our best. We, we haven't. I don't think we... I don't, I don't know. Maybe we have. All right. So, All right. Eugene Onegin, or on, Onegin, depends on how you want to say it, um, is is a story about, about a man, Eugene Onegin, who is a, a Russian high society man who has become bored with society life. And due to the fact that his uncle has passed away, he takes over his estate in the country. I'm really shortening this down. Um, a truncated version, if you will. And he moves to the country and meets uh, a much younger, a romantic, poetic sort of man called um, Vladimir Lensky. And they strike up a a friendship despite their incompatible compatibilities, so to speak, because they're so different, but in some ways they get along very well. And um, also with a neighbouring house uh, that has two daughters, Olga and Tatiana. And Olga is uh, Vladimir Lensky's one and only love, and he adores her. And um, she's quite, she's very pretty and, and nice to be around and lovely. And the other daughter, Tatiana, is quite reticent and um, pensive and likes her own company and not... She's Catwoman. She's not Catwoman. <laughs> she <laughs> She's not unappealing, but she's definitely not the... Um, no, no, I mean, it's in the Batman character. Yeah, but I don't oh, understand okay. really what sorry. that means. <laughs> um, <Okay>. Whoops. <laughs> Never mind, that's all right. Um, but she's not, she's appealing in an unorthodox way, I would say. And um, Eugene points out straight from the start she's that... She's got a um, great mystery about she's her. She's got I a mystery about her. Mm. And you can tell she feels and thinks things quite deeply. And um, Eugene, from the straight off the bat, despite the fact that he's not interested in her, says that if you were to love one or one of the other, one of the two, sorry... Uh, Tatiana is obviously the more interesting one. And um, anyway, Tatiana falls in love with um, Onyegin and writes in this passionate love letter. Um, it's it's incredible. I was listening to it this morning while I was making breakfast. And um, anyway, Eugene basically <laughs> says to her... I don't know why. That's quite... <laughs> what? Making breakfast. <laughs> making breakfast. Listening to love letters. <laughs> well, that, that's just how it worked. That's I had to fit in listening to all of this. I'm recording a podcast while eating breakfast. There you go. <laughs> And um, anyway, Eugene confronts her and says, "Look, I I appreciate um, I appreciate that you've said all of this, and I admire it to a certain extent, but I can't love you. I'm unable of loving you. I'm world weary. Um, you will grow to de- hate me because I will I will hate you in matrimony. It will destroy us. And you really need to be a bit more careful with who you lavish love on in the future." It's really, it's really, it's really sad. And he, in a way, it was quite noble because he couldn't love her. But he didn't, yeah. You need, there's a lot to be, you need to think about many things. Perhaps he could have 
uh, asked himself why he was unable of doing this. And anyway, so what happens is Tatiana is shattered and um, Eugene kind of goes back to his normal life in the country. He doesn't really see her that often. But then Tatiana's name day comes about and that's a big Russian um, thing where uh, it's sort of like a feast day, sort of. Um, it turns up in Tolstoy's works as well. And um, Lenski uh, persuades Eugene to come along to uh, Tatiana's name day festival saying there's only going to be one or two people, it's just the family. And uh, so Eugene comes along very reluctantly to find out that it's a big, 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 big party. And so he's morose and hates it because it's just like uh, the high society city party he, he, he left and hated. And um, so in revenge, he starts dancing with Olga and flirting with her. And Olga, in her vanity, um, lets him do this. So Lenski gets very, very, very upset because he's a very genuine, very emotional, very poetic man and challenge, challenges Eugene to a duel. Whoa! Yeah! And um, Why did you just listen to the first couple of chapters? Like? <laughs> it's, it's really good. Anyway, um, me- slap? <laughs> no, many things happen and Lenski is killed in the duel, um, oh, unwilling- wow. unwillingly by Eugene, but only because society- the, the, there were conventions um, playing on this, playing in this. Eugene, once again... Um, removes himself from society, goes traveling for a while, uh, returns to either Moscow or St. Petersburg, I can't remember, one of the cities with the high society, and many, many, many years later, like seven years later or something like that, and um, goes to a ball, sees this beautiful woman, is entranced by her, and asks his friend, the prince, um, who this is. He says, that's my wife, and he brings her over to be introduced, and it's Tatiana. Oh. And Eugene is in love. And he and Gross, he yeah. starts writing her letters, and she's ignoring them. And finally, and yeah, in, finally, right at the end, he he uh, finds her in her house or something like that, and throws himself at her feet, and is and is is so distraught. And um, Tatiana says, in many ways, yes, I I still love you very dearly, and you can you get the. I can't. I'm not sure whether my memory of the film is playing in on this. She still loves him, but she says, "I'm someone's wife, and I intend to be faithful to him." And that's how it ends. And Eugene goes off into the world, a dead man. That's how it ends. Okay. <laughs> there you go, Luke. Yeah, it's it's intense. You can understand intense. why people love this story. It's it um. And why they love Pushkin, because he's a master. He's a master Indeed. of language and of storytelling. Because something about this story hits home to everyone, and it, it doesn't matter who it... Like, mm. when we were listening to it down, down to Albury, um, different, different characters sort of sparked our interest, I suppose. I really liked Vladimir Lensky, because mm. I, underst- I understood how he worked. I thought, oh, I, I understand how you process things and what you love and things like that, whereas Eugene was just completely lost to me. I had no idea yeah. what was going on. Yeah, I mean, what something that I found interesting about my own reflection with this was that, like, I described it to Victoria as being quite um, quite depressing. Mm. I found it. Like, the first couple of the first two chapters where there's this kind of sense of emptiness to right. it that... Um, you have this guy and he's just bored with life. And it's just like, I just find that really... Was it like the desolate plains of Russia, Luke? I don't know. I've never <laughs> been to Russia. I've never know. seen I've pictures never seen, or I've videos? Never, or? No, I don't really oh. know much about Russia. I know Red watch. Square. 
um, Siberia, but I don't even really know what Siberia looks like. <laughs> um, and that's it. Russia's sort of outside of my scope of of thinking. But um, yeah, I mean, to me, I just found it quite it, something that I found quite interesting was the difference between Victoria and I. Our reactions <laughs> as we were driving down. Where Victoria's like, "This is fantastic! Like, this is amazing! I love it!" And I'm just like. This is really depressing. <laughs> like, this is really depressing. This, this is what happens like... when you put a philosophy student and a literature student in a car <laughs> and put on Russian literature. <laughs> that's right. It's, it's an unusual experience. <laughs> that's I, that's probably what it is. Um, where I just was like, I'm just so sad for this whole situation. Where I listened up to was where they were discussing um, Tatiana and... Um, and Olga's mother, um, and she. So something that that you didn't talk about there, Victoria, was the the narrator. The narrator is almost like oh, a character. Yes, yes. In we it, need to talk about him. Uh, in himself, who um, is not necessarily Pushkin, but most um, acknowledged. You know, he was, well, this is the thing. He, most... was a, he was a character within the story mm. at the start. Like he yes. sort of slips in there and then disappears. Well, the thing is, he says he knew Onyegin, mm. and later on, he says, "I'm pretty sure he says that he at least observed Tatiana." In high society as well. Yeah. Um, so, but the thing is that most scholars think that he, while the narrator is not Pushkin, he is sort of a, a character, um, a caricature of of society's impression of Pushkin, something oh, okay. along those lines. Okay. Um, yeah, it's it's an interesting dialogue between the the author, the narrator, the narrator oh, intended, okay. and the audience intended. All those sort of things. Fair enough. Implied author, should I say? That the um, yeah the the narrator is discussing um, Olga and Tatiana's mother, um, who was madly in love with this man uh, in her younger years, and was basically told by family, "No, you're marrying this guy," mm. and she basically had to put up with that. She got married. She was completely distraught by this situation, and then spent the rest of her life just having to come to accept the fact. And that she did. She found, she, she did. found. She found. She's accepted yeah. it. Uh, became in her life in the country with her family. <laughs> became like this kind of like <laughs> um, whatever comes after a bridezilla, <laughs> wifezilla, yeah, yeah, like a wifezilla, <laughs> something like that. Um, no, not not really. But she liked contro- She liked she running controlled- her home. She liked. Interestingly, I was yeah. listening to something the other day. This might mm. be a bit of pop... Well, not necessarily pop... It does sound a bit pop psychology, but I think there is a certain truth to it. Okay. That, like, when you're in situations where you can't control something, you control everything else. Yeah, I've heard of that. Yeah, that, that, that like sounds, in situations where right. people lose control, mm. they begin to start controlling other things. So, little, even, like, little minute things, they'll be very controlling over them. That's very interesting. Um, yeah, and I think there's a certain element of that there, um, that... She had a lack of control. I don't know if that was the intention on Jaegen had there. But, uh, sorry, not on Jaegen, um, Pushkin had there. But, um, anyway, this story was just real. This is where we actually ended. The story was just really, I found it really sad and depressing. And even, like, the, um, the, the, between chapters one and two, chapter one ends with uh, on Jaegen moving out to the country uh, to take over his uncles, who like he doesn't even really care about the uncle all that much. Like, he no, really he's really sort of he he asks when will the devil take you? He's just waiting for it's him awful. to keel over. Yeah, it's yeah, it's just really awful. And I just find like that whole thing, just these characters, so sad. Like, I just find that that there's just a certain emptiness, and that I was discussing this with Victoria about like how it actually really 
deeply affects me. How sad these characters are. And, like, having this reflection of, like, in my own childhood, that I, I would have been deeply affected by things that I don't think were intended to be... Well, possibly intended to be funny. Um, and I'd be like, that's so sad. <laughs> anyway, that's, uh, that's a melancholic trait for you. Um, well, okay. It's meant to be sad, yes, but it's meant to be, I think, poignant in its sadness. So this is what... This is where the term uh, Russian soul comes about. Mm. And it gets mentioned in the particular translation that we were reading. Spleen. And I'll get on to that. What was that? <laughs> the, the, <laughs> the particular translation that we were listening to was the one put together by James E. Fallon and subsequently read by Stephen Fry. And it... it Retains a beautiful meter and a rhyming scheme, and I find it extremely witty and lively. After a little bit of research, I found that while it's not one of the most accurate um, mirrors in terms of direct translation, it's it's one of the most accurate in terms of, um, to quote the castle, the vibe of the thing. <laughs> it's just the vibe. Um, <laughs> and so I found it quite good. And anyway, so he he translates a certain phrase as the Russian soul. He says that while some people might say that Eugene was depressed uh, when he when he first leaves Russian high society, um, or the English might call it the spleen, he called it Russian soul. And so I thought I'm going to research. I have no idea what he meant by the spleen. The spleen is this is this concept that comes up in English literary. Um, ideology, I suppose, and it it just discusses like a uh, moroseness, or it's more than that. It's it's difficult to explain in so few words, but um, yeah. Actually, you know what's interesting? I'm just going to do a bit of a look up now. Okay, why don't where why don't... melancholy comes from? Um, melancholy plays went... into the spleen. I remember. That's, that's, what I'm th- that's what I'm thinking because the for for listeners who have no idea what we're talking about, we're talking about the temperaments. And so the temperaments come from. Oh, Aristotle. we're talking about that. Okay. Right. And um, I just mean as in where does melancholy come from? So okay. the terms uh, sanguine, melancholic, choleric, and um, and phlegmatic um, all come from. This is going to be a bit, a bit of disgusting. pseudo silence for you. <laughs> bit of dis- this is going to be a little bit disgusting, but uh, they all come from certain liquids within the body. Uh, so sanguine is blood. Uh, we still retain that term. With reference to blood, I think there's certain term, oh. like maybe medical terms. I can't remember that there's certain or in reference to um, sang- sanguinity. I think is reference okay. to like your family relationship. That's interesting. So it like comes a close up in a sanguinity. And sun song. Sorry, it comes up in a month and sun song. He says, okay. "I miss my sanguine eyes." Yeah, I'm not quite so sure what sanguine. he means by that. But anyway, the, um, melancholy. Oh, okay, so melancholic. Oh, do I have to look up things? <laughs> Look at these. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm currently looking at a, at a picture, uh, at a page on the four temperaments. And it's got the four temperaments and it's got melancholic, which is like... Um, that's the dis- Very displeased. Phlegmatic, which is just like... Uh, Quite chill. Uh, choleric, which is... Uh, Determined. And sanguine, which is... Yay! Extremely happy. Um, so that's my... My description was with noises. Um... But melancholic, I'm just trying to see if it actually comes from the, um, oh, here we go, here we go. Uh, melancholia is black bile. There you go. Which comes from... It's in your stomach. What was it? Is it your stomach? It's, if you're full of 
bile is 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 bitterness. But and there's different types of bile, and I forget which one. I'm going to apologise to the listener once more. I'm sure you weren't expecting us to talk about bile today, but here we are. Um, okay. Beauty so, of conversational. Um, so okay, so sanguine things. is blood. Um, choleric is associated with the spleen. Mm-hmm. Choleric is the angry sort of one. Black bile is associated with the gallbladder. And phlegmatic is, again, apologies for the disgustingness of this, uh, is associated with the lungs. We still have the word phlegm. Uh, oh, that's right. Phlegmatic, yeah. That makes sense. Um, um, just to kind of give a bit more significance to what we're talking about, this comes up in Shakespeare quite frequently. So if um, these words or uh, reference to the temperaments or bile or anything like that comes up, Shakespeare references them, I think, in Othello, but I'm not sure. Okay. It was quite a popular idea at the time that these temperaments um, not only sort of governed how you how you reacted, but had a significant place in how the world worked in general, sort of like the, the elements in Avatar. I don't really know. Yeah, it's a little bit... I mean, it's meant to be a certain... Um, it comes from a misbout, like the, the Greek idea was that it comes from an imbalance mm. of the of these liquids within the person. Mm. Um, and I'm not sure at what point... I don't, I'm not entirely sure that the medievals were particularly interested in the, the sort of pseudo-biological uh, idea of it. But the, um, the temperaments remained, and they still remain to this day. They're still quite a good um, marker. I think they're a pretty good starting point sometimes. Mm. Anyway, point is. So I was I was talking about that because of the spleen. The spleen, thing. yeah. So it's not quite on the um, on the same thing. Uh, the Greeks associated the spleen with anger rather than uh, melancholy. Yeah, I in one of my lit classes in romantic poetry we focused on the spleen a little bit. However, it was a two part um, lecture. One bit was on the spleen, one bit was on something else, and I think I found the other thing more important, more sorry, more exciting. So I, I focused on that. So I don't know much about the spleen, so I'm very sorry about that. But this idea of the Russian soul um, permeates Russian literature, especially Pushkin and Dostoevsky, Tolstoy. Um, And it's this um, way of describing how the Russian people are. Mm. And I'll try and find a quote because I found it quite telling, as opposed to me trying to paraphrase the meaning behind it. Okay. According to Dostoevsky, the most basic, most rudimentary spiritual need of the Russian people is the need for suffering. Ever-present and unquenchable everywhere and in everything. And this this is the Russian soul, and it ties very much into uh, Russian orthodoxy in their the spiritual beliefs, um, their environmental surroundings, the, the bleak plains of snow, um, and all of this culminates into this this way of being, this Russian way of being, that the the great Russian writers have encapsulated uh, in their work. So I'm reading War and Peace at the moment, and that very it just permeates the whole thing. Someone said once that the way to summarize War and Peace is that um, it snows and everyone's upset, and, which I don't think is quite accurate. At the moment, I'm I'm experiencing a vast array of human emotions and experiences. That not 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 all are upset. But um, is so it this snowing though? it snows sometimes. Yeah, I mean it's Russia. But so this this permeates uh, Eugene Onegin quite quite a lot and culminates at the end when all characters are suffering or dead, 
And that yeah. seems to be almost a grimly satisfying conclusion because they're, they're experiencing the peak emotion of the human experience almost. The, and this is the Russian soul in, in action. Okay. It's, it's, it's difficult to talk about. And it's, a, it's a culmination rather than a... Well, n- perhaps I wasn't giving it due credit. I'm not going to be able to explain it properly. I'm not an expert. And, mo- and I've noticed that academics talk about it differently. But that's how I've understood it and how I've understood it to work within Eugene Onegin. Um, but I don't think it's meant to be sad wholly. I found it very uplifting in some areas and I found it very funny. It's meant to be a very funny piece of... It's quite... I, but is it funny in the dark? Like, it's very, got a very dark sense of humour? No, some of it's just meant to be okay. funny. Um, actually, maybe some of it's meant to be dark because, you know, he Pushkin talks about uh, Tatiana's mum and about how she was ma- uh, married, you know, against her will, and it's said in a very, like, yeah. witty kind of snarky yeah. way. Um, but the, the way this was written was that it was written in serials in the 1820s okay. or 30s, and... Um, that's why there are certain cliffhangers at chapter points. So, mm-hmm. at one point, um, there's a confrontation between Tatiana and uh, Eugene. And this is right after she sent the letter and she hasn't seen him yet. And they meet uh, in a forest or something and they don't. she didn't realise she would run into him. And that's where the chapter ends. Uh, so, okay. that's where the serial would have yep. ended. That's yep. where that particular... So, not only was Pushkin an amazing entertainer, but he knew how to keep suspense and he knew how mm. to keep something going and then later on it was published as a work on its own but mind you something we didn't talk about is the fact that this is a poem yeah we should talk about this okay there is something incredible about this and this is why us listening to a translation is almost um some people makes it so difficult it makes it difficult to talk about the work in its original form and i don't think as english speakers we can some people say that all translations are a lie Percy Shelley, in a defense of poetry, said that all translations are in vain, or something along those lines. Well, yeah, to a certain extent. It's very profound. And um, so this piece of work is 389 stanzas of iambic tetrameter, tetrameter, with the unusual rhyme scheme of A, B, A, B, C, C, D, D, E, F, F, E, G, G. And the cool thing is that within that rhyming scheme... Sorry, I just have to look at Within this rhyming scheme, there are certain collections and couples of both feminine and masculine nouns or words. Mm. Its complex, um, intricate design is sustained throughout the poem. And in Russian, it's meant to be so beautiful. So, so, so beautiful. In the English version we were listening to, I thought was actually quite good because it maintained the rhyme. And that's, I suppose, where the critics say, but it lost some of its meaning. Yeah, um, I, don't, I don't think it's necessarily. It doesn't. It doesn't sit like the. It doesn't seem to be as beautiful. From what I was like, what I was listening to, I wouldn't say it's not beautiful, but it's not. I don't know what you mean by beautiful. I guess. Um, you mean in the Russian? Yeah, in the. It's Russian. meant to be, poetic. Okay. It's sort of like if you if you uh, translated Wordsworth, you're never going. Um, I wondered lonely as a cloud. You're never going to get the full beauty he wanted because he wrote it in the English language. Yeah. Um, the language that people choose is always very interesting, I find. Um, the guy that wrote Waiting for Godot, um, Samuel Beckett, though he was an English speaker um, first and foremost, decided to write it in French first because of a number of reasons. And Pushkin decided to write this in Russian. He makes a note later on that no... 
no lady's love letters were ever written in Russian because Russian doesn't lend itself well to that. And so his Tatiana writes in French. Uh, um, interesting thing to sort of meditate is on. Is that translated? Because there was the, the part at the start where... Every chapter had a pro- like a little prologue or a preamble in French. In f- yeah. Kudos right. to Stephen Fry's accent. I thought it was quite good. I wouldn't okay. be able to tell if it was terrible, but... Um, yeah, so there's uh, apparently the coolest one of the cool things about Pushkin was that his works were like a salad bowl of um, colloquial words and high society and French and Russian, mm. which were both in use in Russia, and um, it's just a masterpiece work. And one day I hope maybe I can understand some of it in Russian. But that's for another day. Yeah, it is, and I think we're uh, we're pretty much we're pretty much done. We're uh, done. You have to like you have to run. I have to bolt. You have to bolt out of here. <laughs> Um, but yeah, uh, I, yeah, Eugene on Jaeger. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. (laughs) I'd really recommend it. Uh, If you have a long drive ahead of you, I, Um, it's, I found it profoundly entertaining and it just meditates on everything. Life, death, um, uh, terrible circumstances, um, society, psychology. If you're like me. Just a word of warning. <laughs> um, yeah, it's um, it can be a bit like, oh man, it's like, intense. Yeah, this is like I guess yeah, it's just interesting. Russian Russian culture. Yeah, find that interesting. It's um, definitely a whole world of its own. All right, uh, so yeah, Eugene Onegin by Alexander Pushkin. Uh, what do we want to do next time? Oh, no, quite sure. We'll see what Kiara wants to do. Yeah, let's. Well, Kiara might. Kiara might be back. I'm not sure. Um, but mm, maybe, yeah, maybe not. We'll have to see. All right. So that was a slightly slimmed down episode of Catholics Read. We don't have Kiara, but that's okay. Victoria and Luke managed to. Well, Victoria. We managed to talk Victoria about bile. So, job done. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Victoria managed to drag me over the line with this one. So thank you, Victoria. <laughs> And uh, we'll see you next time. Bye. That was an episode of Catholics Read from cradio.org.au.